This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. So I want to talk to you this morning literally about heaven's mind, like, uh, like Ray said. So I want to say welcome to a day of restoration. Welcome to a day of love. That's really what this day is about. It's not about fancy um, speakers, as you've already figured out. <laughs> uh, they can't even introduce themselves properly. Um, well, I can't. The other ones are exquisite. Um, but it is a day of literally encountering the presence of God, encountering the love of God, encountering uh, the restoration of God, and of hearing God's heart for you. And today, I just want you to believe, really believe, that you are loved that you are cherished, and that you are valuable and highly esteemed. When God thinks about you, those are the thoughts that come to his mind. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we can fill in a whole bunch of other words instead of those, but I want you to know this morning that you are valuable to God. Your life matters to him. And before I go into my message for today, I, I was praying for this retreat, and I just want to throw out a couple things that I really felt um, was for somebody this morning. I feel like there are some women in here that have come in, and you are heavy burdened. You feel like you have a yoke on you, and you don't know how to handle it. And I feel this morning that God wants to remind you that Jesus said that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And it's his presence and his anointing. When we come to him in faith and actually believe that he exists and believe that he wants to touch us, he can break every yoke. He can lift every burden. Um, And so today, I want you, as you sit here, just to receive his love for you, to receive his thoughts toward you. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will give you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. That is an awesome verse. God is literally saying, call to me. This is not in the notes, Margaret. So if you're looking, (laughs) she's like, I can see my poor projector person. She's hyperventilating, going through the notes. Where is she? Where is she? Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. You should know by now. I'm sorry. Um, But it literally says that I will give you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. And then Jeremiah 29 goes on to say, I know the plans I have for you. They're good. Say this morning, I serve a good father. Okay, now can you say that one, once again like you actually believe it? <laughs> can we do that one more time? I serve a good father. The song that we just sang, I know some people have had a hard time with it because of their earthly father. Maybe you haven't had a good um, earthly dad. And so you sing those words and you go, are, are you, you're a good, good father. And you like put a question mark at the end. It's who you are, Right. It's who you are, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, um, I hope you are. Um, but this morning, I want to tell you that regardless of your experience, whether you've had an awesome earthly dad or a very rough upbringing, I want to let you know that you are deeply loved. And your father is a good, good father. That's who he is. And you are loved by him. That's who you are. 
And so it's with that that we start off this morning. Um, and I do want to talk to you, and now I'm going to go to my notes, Margaret. <laughs> I want to talk to you about heaven's mind and how God thinks about you, not about how you think about you. How many of you know that sometimes that differs, uh, the way God thinks about you and the way you think about you? Okay, so a couple of people are like, yeah, I, I hear you. So what I want to see today is I want to help you to literally shift your perspective because God's thoughts towards you are constant. God's love towards you is actually relentless. It says that he is pursuing you. He's going after you. Even when we run from him, he pursues us and he goes after us because he loves you with a relentless, never-ending love. And so this morning, I want you to know that he wants you to shift your perspective and start seeing what he sees when he looks at you. Isaiah 55, 9 says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So God wants to tell you this morning that he's got great plans for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. His ways are higher. There's actually another verse that says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or even think. That's how much he loves you, that he, has, he sits up there and he thinks about you. And he thinks about things that you can't even imagine. And so this morning, he wants to shift your perspective. But sometimes when we look at ourselves, we see something very different than what God sees. We see our flaws. We see our weaknesses. We see our shortcomings. But the amazing thing about God is that he actually knows all that. But he chooses to look at you and to look at me with a different perspective. So instead of looking at us and seeing and focusing on those shortcomings, he actually looks at us and he sees destiny. He sees your future. He sees your purpose when he looks at you. And so he just wants you to shift your perspective and say, okay, God, maybe I'm not thinking right about myself. Maybe I actually need to start seeing what you're seeing. He has heaven's mind for you. I want to show you this. If you... Um, if you come to Impact Church, you have seen this before, but I've probably had more feedback about this one thing than any other sermon I've ever preached. Um, I, I brought, actually, I have with me, but you can't see it here, so I put it on the screen. There's a tiny little mustard seed in this bag over here. You can see how small it is compared to the finger. And uh, the really neat thing is that that tiny little mustard seed, if you want to go to the next slide, it turns into that tree. And so sometimes when we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves like we're tiny, like we can't do anything, like we're not significant, we can easily be lost and trampled on, and, and maybe we don't have much to give. But the amazing thing is that that tiny mustard seed turns into a giant tree. So what we need to do is allow God to show us that what he sees when he sees you, he doesn't see a little seed, he actually sees an enormous tree. And and for those of you who were there when I uh, spoke this message recently, what had come to me is this phrase, literally, you have the potential to be exponential. And so this morning, I want you to sit with the mindset that God is greater than you can ever imagine. His plan for you is bigger than what you can think up on a good day. And so when he looks at you, he sees the exponential plan for you. You have that potential right in you. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, well, God and I are not seeing the same thing here. So we can come to the conclusion that one of us needs to change perspective. And I just want to let you know that it's not God, okay? 
just a little hint, just so that you can keep that in mind as we go, that he's, uh, he thinks pretty, pretty awesome thoughts about you. But the good thing is that we don't have to try to earn God's love because we already have it. God loves you. And if you can remember one thing from today, it sounds so simple. But you, you need to know, Cameron always says, know in your knower <laughs> that God loves you and you don't have to earn his love. Nothing you can do can make him love you more. And nothing that you've done can make him close the door on you. So I want to share with you, you know how we all have our embarrassing moments? Well, would you like to hear mine? Okay, and it's not actually going to be the one where I got locked in the bathroom yesterday and had to call Pastor Ray and go, uh, I can't get out of the bathroom. Um, that was pretty embarrassing, and we had fun about that last night. So don't go install number four in the woman's bathroom because I literally could not get out. I literally had to call for help. <laughs> and I was so thankful that I, I did what you shouldn't do and brought my cell phone <laughs> into the bathroom. Um, that's not the embarrassing moment I was going to share with you, but uh, since I'm all exposed, there you go. Um, but uh, my mother-in-law is right over here, my, my wonderful, um, she's an amazing woman of God, Linda, uh, who's right here. You may remember this moment. So Cameron and I had just met, um, and this was my first time coming to their house. Can you remember this? Oh, man, she's like, I do, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> um, so um, I used to love wearing skirts, and I wore this long, flowy skirt, and, you know, it was all, it was summertime, and it was nice, and so here I come. So they had, you know, wanted to give me a moment to, you know, pull myself together, so they all went down in their basement. This was on Brownstone Crescent, um, where they lived, and so they're all sitting down there in the basement, and they're waiting for me, and so Cameron's like, oh, I'm just going to go down, and, you know, when you, whenever you're ready, and you know that first time you get to meet the potential in-laws to be, right? So I'm like, okay, okay, we can do this. So uh, <clears throat> I take one step down their stairs, except with my flowing, you, you do remember this, she's like, uh-huh. Um, so with my nice flowing skirt, I also had pantyhose under. And this detail is important because I want to let you know that the combination of carpet and pantyhose it's very slippery. <laughs> and lesson learned is that you should never miss the first step. So here I come. And I am talking all the way down. I'm going, blah, 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 blah. and my skirt is literally up in my face. I am not kidding you. It's the worst moment of my life. Skirt is literally stuck to my face at this moment. I can't stop because gravity is pulling me down. And I bump all the way down and I land right in front of the family with my skirt in my face. So if you, <laughs> if you have an embarrassing moment, I don't think you can top that because at that moment I'm like, it talks in the Bible about the rapture where we all go up, and now would be a really good time. Um, and of course, my wonderful now mother-in-law comes running over. Oh, sweetie, if you've met her, she's super sweet. Are you okay, darling? And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. yeah, I am doing so awesome. <laughs> uh, so, um, but you know what happened in that moment? I realized that there's, <laughs> Carling, thank you for your face of compassion towards me. So if you are unmarried in this place, I, I recommend that you wear pants when you meet the family, okay? So, 
But anyhow, dignity went out the door, and I was in so much pain. But of course, you don't want to show that, so you're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> I, I always go down the stairs like that. Um, and, uh, but I, I realized one thing in that moment. There was absolutely nothing I could do to impress the family. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I had lost all dignity. I was clumsy. I was in pain. I'm trying to hold it together. And Lynn is trying to love on me. And I'm like, <laughs> just everyone go away. <laughs> um, but you know what I realized? Well, in that moment, I made a decision. I'm either going to marry this man so that they're stuck with me, um, or I will never, ever, ever, ever see them ever again. Um, that was a good visit to Canada. I think I'm going back to Sweden now. Um, but you know the, the awesome thing, and if you've ever met Linda in particular, if you haven't, you need to go talk to her at some point today. Because what that family showed me, not just in that moment, but as I came into the family, is that they love me for who I am. Not for what I can do, clearly, um, <laughs> and not for what I cannot do, like walk stairs. Um, but I realized that there's nothing I can do to impress them. And I thought about that, and I think sometimes we come like that to God. We try to be all put together. We try to put on the nice flowy dress and, and uh, all the nice stuff, and, and we wear the right makeup, and we do our hair just right, and we put a smile on our face, and we come, and we say, okay, God, I'm all good. And he goes, you liar. <laughs> and I just want to let you know right now that God already knows what's going on. So it usually doesn't help trying to fake it with him. And so what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that when you can be real with God and just say, here I am with my flaws, with my shortcomings, with my weaknesses, with my clumsiness, with my red flowing skirt that is in my face, whatever it is, here I am. Would you take me? And the answer is always yes. Because he loves us with an unconditional love. So we know we already have God's love, yet many times we live life as if we have to prove ourselves. But how many know it's tiring? It takes effort. It's even exhausting. And when we think we're just good enough, then we realize that we're not, because there's someone else out there that's better than us, or maybe something else that we didn't do that we should have done, and the list goes on and on. And the world puts labels on us, and it says if we mess up, then we're not worth as much. If we don't do enough, then God won't listen to us. If we don't be good enough, then we're not worthy of God's love. But I want to tell you this morning that heaven's mind for you is that he believes in you, and he loves you. And you have the potential to be exponential. And heaven's mind for you is different than what our culture dictates today. See, God sent Jesus not just to give you eternal life, but he sent Jesus to give you abundant life because he actually wants you to have heaven on earth. He actually doesn't want to just sit up there and wait until you cross over into eternity. 
because for us that takes forever. If to him, it's nothing. But that's actually not just why he came. Sometimes we approach Jesus as, okay, now, okay, I believe in you, so I know I'm safe for eternity. But he wants to actually affect our life here and now. He wants you to have a taste of heaven on earth so that we can literally be carriers of his presence here and now. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's literally declaring. And, and you know, I, I know we can't even say that prayer and we're thankfully we're in a catholic school um so we say it every day but we're declaring when we say that prayer that we believe that we want a piece of heaven here and now on earth in our lives in our family in our situations in our workplace where we go where we shop where we go about where we do our recreational stuff god wants heaven to be on the inside of you wherever you go but you need to realize that you're not unworthy of his presence. He actually has chosen you to carry his presence. In the Old Testament, God's presence was very exclusive. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't come near it. If you were uh, a regular person, unless you were in the priesthood, you couldn't even approach the presence of God. But when Jesus came, he said, I'm not going to live in a temple anymore. It's not about a building anymore. It's about living in you and in me. And now we are the temple of God. We are the carriers of his presence. And I'll read to you a fascinating story in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 down to 34. It says this, Now when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him and said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that he, she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. How many know in this moment that Jesus is on a mission? There's a little girl that needs help. And they've come to him because they know he is the source. They know that he is the answer. So instead of running her to the doctor, they're actually coming to him because they've heard that he's a miracle worker. They've heard that he actually can make sick people well. And so they're saying, she's dying. We need you to come. So he is on a mission. He's walking there. The crowds are coming with him. But here is something very interesting. Right in the middle of this story, there is like a, an interruption, to use Cameron's words, it's a, it's a photobomb <laughs> of another lady that comes out of nowhere as Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. And verse 25 says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now remember, this is Jesus we're talking about. So there's hundreds of people around him. And uh, as you can imagine, in those days, it was not like the 401 where you, um, where you pick your lane. It's crowds are around him, and they're pushing him and shoving him, and everyone's trying to get to Jesus. Yet he turns around, and he says, who touched me? 
because he knows that someone connected with him differently than just rubbing shoulders. There was someone there that came and said, I'm at the end of myself. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything else, and I just need one touch. It was a different kind of touch. So he turns around and asks, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What an awesome story. And then, as if that's not enough for a day's work, he goes on, and uh, by the time he actually gets to Jairus' house, the, the girl had died, and, and they're wailing and crying and mourning, and he kicks them all out and says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they ridicule him and say, you're crazy. And then he goes in, and he's like, oh, well, the day's not over yet. Get up. And so this little girl, he literally raises this girl from the dead. It's pretty awesome. But I want to focus today on this woman right in the middle of this mission. So when you read Bible history and you get uh, a little more connected with the culture of the day, think about this. She had had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. <laughs> 12 years. There's ladies in this place. Just imagine 12 years straight. So may I just assume that she's very anemic because there was no drugstore where you could go out and buy iron supplements. Food was scarce, and she was isolated. So for her to even make the effort to come out in a crowd, I'm, I'm assuming after 12 years that she's in pretty rough shape. The other thing that this story says is that she had spent all she had trying to find a cure. She had gone to every doctor available to see if they could help her, yet it actually says not only could they not help her, but they actually made her worse. And so now she's in a place where she's absolutely, completely desperate. And it says she spent everything she had, but I actually believe that she was spent. She was done. What else is there to do? She had already tried everything possible. I can imagine she was very discouraged. Can you imagine going 12 years without finding a cure for an issue that is ongoing? Never get away from it. She was probably even depressed, if, we're, if we can assume a little bit about the story. She probably felt abandoned because she didn't, we, we don't see anyone advocating for her. We don't see the, the ruler of the synagogue coming and saying, hey, there's this woman over here. You should, uh, you should talk to her, Jesus. There, she's not a an important person like the Roman centurion that had his servant healed. There's no one advocating for her. So she's pretty alone in this moment. And because of this condition, according to Jewish law, if you had an issue of bleeding, you were actually considered unclean. And for those of you who may not realize what that meant, it actually meant that nobody was allowed to touch you, or they would too become unclean. So think about this. She has been considered unclean for 12 years. So according to Jewish law and custom, we can assume that she has probably not been touched in 12 years. You want to talk about feeling isolated? Feeling lonely? 
She was completely isolated from people. On top of that, if she was a good Jewish girl, which it says she was, uh, she was Jewish, um, if she came out in a crowd, she was actually supposed to go and make sure that there was a bubble of space around her and she was to cry, unclean, 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 so that people could part ways, so that no one would by accident just bump into her. Can you imagine 12 years worth of having to go? I can imagine she didn't come out much. It would be embarrassing. It would be humiliating, isolating. So she was isolated from people. She was alone. On top of that, if you were considered unclean, you were not allowed to go in the temple. So not only was she isolated from people, she was actually isolated away from the presence of God because that was the only place you could find it, was in the temple. But she was not allowed to go in. So every Jewish festival, every Passover, every Feast of Tabernacles and all the feasts and all the things that they had, not to mention the daily rituals and sacrifices and offerings, she would have to stand outside the camp and watch as people went to those celebrations. She would hear the singing. She would see the joy on the people. And she literally had to live, it says, outside the camp for 12 years. You know, sometimes we read these stories and we're like, oh, well, that's so awesome. She came and touched Jesus' cloak. Oh, ha, ha, she's healed. Oh, awesome, good for her. But think about what happened that day. Her life was restored. There's so much more than just being healed from, from a condition. Jesus restored her dignity. Jesus restored her into social relationships. Jesus restored her faith once again. And I think it's so neat to see that she was isolated away from the presence of God because she couldn't go to the temple. But something in her that day, I believe that she woke up and she's like, listen, enough is enough. I heard about this guy and I am going to find him no matter what it takes. She should not have been out in the crowd. That was according to their custom. She should not even have been there. But I think that there was something inside of her that rose up and said, you know what? Culture cannot dictate to me if I go after the one who can heal me. And so she makes her way out in the crowd, and we can assume she's probably half crawling at this point because she's trying to press her way through the crowd, anemic and sick as she is. And even though she had been isolated away from the presence of God, she couldn't go to the presence of God in the temple, yet the moment she touched Jesus, the presence of God came to her. It didn't go to all the other people that were pressing around him because their focus was in a different place. But it went to her. And I want to look at why. Because in the moment that we touch Jesus, the same anointing, the same power that was in him then is in him now. And God is relentlessly going after us to show us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is longing for you to reach out and literally touch the hem of his garment, if we can say that figuratively speaking. He wants you to reach out to him and say, okay, God, I'm tired of my stuff. I'm tired of being isolated. I'm tired of feeling lonely. I'm tired of feeling sick. I'm tired of feeling separated from you, from people, from all those things. 
they're just trying to fix the laptop, so bear with them for a moment. But the moment we connect with Jesus, he cleanses us and he heals us. Isaiah 58, 6 says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. And you break every yoke. That is what God wants for us. He wants to lift the heavy burdens. He wants to let the oppressed go free and break all our yokes. She was sick. She was broke. She was discouraged. And I think she got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And she got to a place where she realized, okay, there's only one place left. And that's the place that I want us to come to today and see that Jesus is still here and he still wants to touch us in that same way. And she did something very courageous. She decides that it meant more to her to have a moment with Jesus than to abide by cultural expectations. And I wrote this down. She was courageous because courage is not the absence of fear. It is the tenacity to do the right thing no matter how much we're afraid. That's courage. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. I mean, you know that we're afraid. We, we have fears. We have apprehensions. But courage is saying, I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to do it anyways. She got tired of seeking answers, and she decided to seek the one who was the answer. So I want to just briefly draw out eight things that we can learn from this story. First thing is this. You are Jesus' priority. You are his priority. He is, think about this, he was on his way to, to heal a very, very sick little girl. Yet he takes the time, he stops in his tracks, and he literally turns around, and he takes a moment with this woman. Because she is important to him. Can I say everyone is important to him? It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Jesus loves you just as much as he loves the person next to you. He could have kept going to his destination. And only he and the woman would have ever known what happened. Yet he stopped. And he said, wait, something just happened. And he actually stops and acknowledges what this woman had done. Because she was important. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. That's what God does. He draws us with an everlasting kindness because he loves you that much. You are important to Jesus. What you are going through is important to Jesus. Would you turn to someone and say, I'm important to Jesus? Okay, now turn to your second choice, the person you didn't turn to, <laughs> and say it again. <laughs> okay. Okay, turn to the first person again and say, I'm his favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard some of you going, I'm, you know. <laughs> but you know what? You are. 
And I am. And that's so awesome. And we got God because that everlasting, great love, the loving kindness of God is enough. It is enough for you and for me and for every individual. You are not unimportant to God. You are not forgotten. You are not put aside. He loves you so very much. And if I could just encourage you to shift your perspective this morning to know that heaven's mind for you is that you would know that you are important to Jesus. Reinhard Bonnke, a well-known evangelist, said this about the story. He asked who touched him, while well, dozens had. Then the woman came trembling and afraid. Why? Because she had touched him and she knew her defilement had defiled Jesus. Likewise, our defilement of sin defiled him. He was made sin for us on the cross. But all eyes were upon her, the whole crowd was quiet, everybody straining to see who had brought the party to a screeching halt. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was entirely focused on one outcast, a little scrap of unknown humanity. Her loneliness and illness had put all heaven in a rage, and God sent his Son for her alone in that moment. That's how he loves you. You are his priority. I brought, uh, I brought with me uh, some money. Actually, can I get your help, my dear mother-in-law? Can you come for a moment? I'm going to put her on the spot because she loves to be in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. And no, I'm not giving you money. <laughs> so, how much is this worth? Okay. Can you crumple it up? Crumple it up. Crumple it. Crumple it hard. Step on it. Seriously. Yeah, really. No, it's not crumpled enough. Come on. <laughs> She's way too gentle. Come on, yes. Come on. Don't be so gentle. Step on it now. There we go. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. You may have a seat. How much is it worth? Did the value ever change? Yet sometimes we feel trampled on. We feel all crumpled up. We feel like we're not as pretty as we used to be. We're not as together as we used to be. But your value never changes. God has placed inside of you an eternal value. And you're still worth everything to him. So much so that he went to the cross for you. I know some of you have heard me share this, but I... I spoke a message years ago just about the cross and about Jesus going to the cross. And as I was praying and preparing for that message, I was overcome by God's love for me. A simple little Swede that was born in Africa. <laughs> I'm not special, but I am to God, and so are you. And I felt like... God spoke to me that week as I was preparing for this particular message. 
and I was thinking about, you know, the gruesome sacrifice, the gruesome death that he went through just so that I could have not just eternal life, but abundant life. And I said, why, Jesus, why did you do it? At the snap of a finger, you could have been freed from your suffering because you didn't deserve it. It wasn't your fault. And this is what I felt he spoke to me. It was the will of God, the will of the Father, that took me to the cross. But it was you that kept me on it. You are valuable. You are loved. And if you were the only one on the face of this planet, Jesus would have stayed on that cross for you. You are Jesus' priority. Second thing we can learn from this story is don't give up. Don't give up. Think about how many doctors she must have seen. It says she literally spent all her money. Can you imagine how disappointed and discouraged she must be after all that? But yet there was something in her that did not give up. Maybe some of you feel like you've tried too many times that you don't want to be disappointed again. But where men failed, Christ succeeded. In your life, where you have tried so hard and it's just not working, this morning would you surrender it to Jesus and say, I need your help. Because where men fail, Christ can do it. Luke 8.27 says, but he said, speaking of Jesus, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Number three, God only needs a moment. He only needs a moment. She was healed, it says, immediately. Actually, Mark uses that word immediately 27 times in his gospel. He loves that word because he loves to point out that one moment in God's presence can change everything. One moment with him can turn your life around. One moment can set destiny into motion in your life. The Bible is full of suddenlies. The Bible is full of moments with people that came to him and he changed everything in just a moment. Number fourth, faith is the connection point. She believed one thing, and I think that was the only thing she kept focusing on as she went out in the crowd that day. She probably said it to herself, if I only touch him, if I only touch him, if I only touch him, I know, I know he's a miracle worker. I know if I only can touch him, if I can, if I can endure, if I can press through, if I can just get to him before someone pushes me away, if I can only touch him, I will be made whole. That was her statement of faith. What's yours? What are you saying over yourself? I'll never make it. I'm not good enough. It's not going to work. It's all about perspective. Some of you may just need to make a new statement of faith over your life this morning and say if there's one thing if I only can touch him, I know that everything will change. See, she connected with the source of her healing. So in this room, there's multiple outlets 
and there's 110 volts running through this building all the time. But we're not going to feel it unless, well, you shouldn't actually. <laughs> That's Cameron's embarrassing story. He put an X-Acto knife in an outlet, and his mother found him passed out and thought he died. But uh, he's okay, he's still here, and maybe that's why he's a little, woohoo, you know. Um, <laughs> but Ken, can we erase that from the recording? Um, anyhow, <laughs> Rachel, that's your job, Monday morning. Okay. <laughs> but power is always available to us. But the connection point, just like when we plug into an outlet, that's the connection point. Faith is our connection point to Jesus. Perhaps her touch had been unnoticed by the eyes of those around her, and she must have been one of many that touched him that day, but a touch of faith will not be hidden from Jesus. He knew it. As soon as she touched him, he's like, that was different. That was different. That was different than everyone that, that wants their miracle and that wants their thing and wants to see the power. There was someone, he literally said, he felt power go on. He said, who touched me? There was a touch of faith. It was different. Faith is the connection point. I put this up here. Faith is not something you do. It is something you believe that Jesus can do. Faith is not about doing more. Faith is not about achieving more. Faith is not about works, 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 and do, 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 and be, 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 and all this stuff. Faith is simply putting your trust in what Jesus will do. It's the connection point. Matthew 14, 35 to 36. It's just a few chapters after the incident with the story, and I thought this is so neat to see. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. See, I think this is a few chapters after the incident with the woman. I think she went out and she told everybody, I touched the hem of his garment, and I'm whole, I'm healed, I have a new life, I'm restored. And as a result, we see not only was her life changed, but the whole crowd realizes that, oh, if we only touch him. And it literally says, everyone that touched him were made, not just well, perfectly well. See, your miracle is tied to someone else's miracle. Your faith will inspire someone else to go out there and say, hey, if you could do it, then I can do it. If you could press through it, then I can press through it. If you could make it, then I'll make it. I think of wonderful people. We have a beautiful woman, Charlotte. She went through cancer treatment a few years ago, and she made it. She made it out the other side, and it was rough. It was hard, but she made it, and she's here today. And it's because of many of you who had faith and prayed and believed and supported through that time. But guess what? Now Charlotte can say, I made it. If you're there, don't give up. You'll make it. Her faith can become the catalyst for someone else's faith. Your faith can become the catalyst, not just for yourself, but for someone else. Number five, Jesus can turn your fear into freedom. See, sometimes we just simply have to overcome our fears. She had to. First, the fear of going into the crowd, 
that was <laughs> that, that was fearful enough. But then think about this. Now she's actually made it to the crowd. She's touched him. She immediately felt something happen. And I can imagine at that point she's going to be like, okay, good. I'm just going to just disappear because they know that I know that they know that I know that I shouldn't have been in this crowd. And so I can imagine she's like, Hoo-hoo, I got my healing. I'm going to just you know, slip away. And she's like, whoa, stop. Who touched me? Seriously, let's think about this. Um, he did. <laughs> it was him. <laughs> Can I say she had to overcome some fear in this moment? The entire crowd is focused on her now. What is she doing out here? She's supposed to be outside the camp. Why is she among us? See, sometimes we just need to overcome the fear of people's expectations and thoughts and just do something daring for once. Do something different and just know that God can change your life. He can change everything. 2 Timothy 1.7, one of my favorite verses, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That's what he's given us. Number six, your confession can become his commission. In that moment, she confesses to him who she is, what she's done, and what happened. And instead of rebuking her, because Jesus could have, he could have said, what are you doing? You're unclean. You should go away. But instead, he looks with tender eyes on this woman who has suffered for 12 years, and he commends her points her out even. He could have left it. He knew. He was, he was God. He could have stayed between him and her, but instead he stops the crowd and he says, her faith made her well. And he says, now go and be freed from your bondage. Her confession became his commission for her life. And that's just what she did. She went and she told everybody, as evidenced by what happens later. Number seven, Jesus wants a relationship, not just religion. See, the normal custom of the day was not to say daughter. It would be to say, hey, woman, you. Yet Jesus so tenderly looks at her and says, daughter. He speaks of intimacy. He draws her and he says, you're part of the family now. You connected with me, and now you're in my family. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And who knows who got the better end of that deal? <laughs> well, we did. But when we come to Jesus in faith, he adopts us into his family. We become sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, I believe that this speaks of the fact that the most important thing in our life is not what we do for God, is our relationship with him. Back in 1994, I was living in Sweden at the time. It did, it did go on the worldwide news, but there was a, a disaster. There was a, a ship, um, ferry, cruise, cruise line, liner, whatever they're called, um, called Estonia. It was traveling from... Estonia to Sweden in September of 1994. And on that 
boat, if we can call it that, cruise ship, there was a, um, a very big group of Bible college students, many of whom I knew. And they had just gone over to Estonia to do missions. And on the night that they were to return, one of them had a dream, very much like Paul in the Bible. And in his dream, he saw the ship go under. And so he actually went to the captain and he said, I had this dream. There's going to be a storm and this ship is going to sink. Do not leave the harbor. And they looked at him like he was crazy. And they, you know, talked amongst themselves in this Bible school. And they said, what are we going to do? I mean, if we stay here, we're going to lose our tickets. We're in a foreign country. So they, uh, they decided to get on the ship. And around midnight that night, something went wrong. I grew up on those boats, so I know them very well. You used to be able to drive in through the back, and then they would open the entire bow of the boat, and you could drive out when you got there. Um, but something went wrong, and the connection between where the bow was disconnected, and it started letting in water. And within an hour, the ship was on its side, and within an hour, it was at the bottom of the ocean. I had some friends that were on that boat, one of them who made it out. He crawled through the chimney because the boat was on its side, so stairs were walls and walls were ceilings. And So he said in that moment, the only thing that mattered was his relationship with Jesus. At that point, it wasn't about being good. It wasn't about being a good person or having stuff or having the right car. He said, the only thing that mattered was, am I right with Jesus? Do we have a relationship? Not religion, not just doing stuff for him, but do I have a relationship with Christ? And the most beautiful story I think I've ever heard, he was the only Bible college student that made it out because the others decided to stay in. And as people were gripped with fear and crying out in those moments, people cry out for God. They ran around and they said, here's the answer, let me pray with you. And they stayed on that boat as it was going to the bottom of the ocean, just so that they could make sure that those people knew Jesus the way they knew Jesus. Because at the end of our life, that is the only thing that matters. Jesus is not about religion. Those heroes in the faith knew that in this moment only one thing matters. And we want to bring as many with us to heaven as we can. And in this moment, life itself doesn't even matter. It matters that we can stand before Jesus with the crowd of people. And 832 people died that day. Why could those young people say, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself away so that you can use me. Not because they were Bible college graduates and had a certificate and a diploma, but because they were secure in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And can I tell you this morning, the only thing that matters 
at the end of the day is that you know that Jesus wants relationship with you. The last thing we can learn from this story is this. Jesus wants to give us new clothes. And I'm going to end with this. This woman came dressed in dirty garments. Actually, the Bible calls them filthy in Isaiah 64, 6. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, even the best of who we are, are like filthy rags to him. We have nothing to offer, yet he loves us and wants us. See, her garments were ill-fitting, but Jesus had a custom-made outfit for her. He wanted to change her clothes, and it went way beyond physical healing. Think about what she exchanged. She exchanged her filthy garments for his robe of righteousness. She exchanged sickness for healing. She exchanged mourning for joy, isolation for acceptance, discouragement for faith, disappointment for fulfillment, worthlessness for value. And she exchanged fear for freedom. And today, Jesus is still the same. And we come sometimes broken and messed up as we are. But what he wants to do is to make us clean. He wants to give us new clothes. And we do this by choosing to change our earthly mindsets like a garment. Because it's ill-fitting. Our worldly thinking is ill-fitting for us. God wants to replace them with a heavenly mindset that is custom-made for us. He wants us to wear love. At our church, we say you need to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. Live love for short. We need to wear love. We need to live love. Galatians 3, verse 9 to 14 says this beautifully. It says, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you're stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious or irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouched, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Goes on to say, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in a new wardrobe that God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength and discipline. Be even-tempered, content with the second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That's the message version. It says this beautifully. See, we are citizens. Uh, in Philippians, it says we're citizens of heaven. So we get to actually carry heaven on earth. We get to look different and be different. We, need to, we get to be dressed in, in God's wardrobe of love and compassion and humility and, and strength and discipline. This is heaven's mind for us. Colossians 3, 1 to 3, and I'm ending with this. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, Jesus is not just about getting people to heaven, but he is about getting heaven into people. And heaven's mind is different for you because you matter. And I'll end with this. Jesus doesn't see you through your history. He sees you for your destiny. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.